Uh, this morning, uh, man, I am so excited because we are going to be uh, talking about something that's, man, just really uh, has, has just kind of blown me away as I've been diving into God's Word and, um, and studying for this morning. And so, man, if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and flip to 1 Kings, not a book we're usually in a lot, right? But 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, we're going to read verses 30 through 40. So 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 30 through 40. Uh, And as you're turning there, as you're scrolling there, whatever, kind of give you a little bit of context about where we're at here. Um, This moment in the book of 1 Kings is immediately kind of in the midst of this epic battle that one of the prophets in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Elijah, has with all of these other prophets uh, of this other God named Baal. And there's kind of this massive showdown uh, on this mountain called Mount Carmel where Elijah is about to test God, Israel's God, against Baal. And there's this moment right now where all these prophets of Baal are like gathering together and trying to get Baal to to bring fire down on this offering that they've put together. And and Elijah's just kind of mocking them, making fun of them. And, uh, And then he brings all of Israel together, all the Israelites that were there, and he brings them in close, and he, and he says these words. We're going to read these words together, and we're going to pray, and then we'll dive into it here uh, for this morning. So 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 30 through 40 says this. It says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two sayas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And so kind of pause really quick. So what's going on here? Because that sounds really weird, right? Um, Pause really quick. So what's going on is that Elijah had made this deal, again, like we said, with the prophets of Baal. And he's saying, put together your offerings, and then we're going to pray to God. I'll I'll pray to my God, you pray to your God, and we're going to pray that they bring fire down from the sky to consume this offering. And if Baal actually is God, then he'll have fire come down from the sky and he'll respond to you. But if Yahweh is God, then he'll have fire come down from the sky and respond to you. And and Elijah gave tons of time for the prophets of Baal to call upon Baal to do this, and nothing happened. And and now Elijah's putting together his offering, and it's like you're just dumping water on this thing, like making it the most non-combustible offering you could ever have, right? And so he's just kind of like making it harder and harder and harder for any kind of like accident uh, for this thing to kind of catch on fire spontaneously, right? So that's that's what's going on with all this dumping of water and, and whatnot. And then in verse 36, it says this, And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was even in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Let's go ahead and pray together. Well, Father, I, uh, man, I thank you for your word uh, that you've given us here this morning. I, uh, I pray, Lord, that you would work in it. Father, that you would, you would make yourself seen as bigger in our eyes, that, that we would walk away this morning, man, without a doubt in our mind, like you are God in this place. You are God, and nothing else reigns supreme over you. You are the one, you are the only. I pray, Father, that you would stir our hearts' affections for you. We would walk away seeing you bigger than we saw you before, especially just in the midst of all the chaos and craziness of our world today. And if you guys are willing, just ask you uh, to, to just pray that. Pray, pray for yourself. Pray that God would teach you something here this morning. And then if you could pray for me, pray that what I say will be helpful, will be clear, uh, man, would ultimately make God look awesome. Well, Father, we love you, and uh, man, we trust you. Uh, Please use this time, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, uh, when I was in college, I want to share a story with you guys here this morning. When I was in college, I was a sophomore in college. And uh, uh, my sophomore year in college, I got to room with three other guys uh, in uh, my ROTC program. And so there was four of us in this one apartment complex. And uh, as you would imagine, uh, in an apartment full of just college guys, there was a fair number of pranks that would go on uh, over the course of the year. And I remember one of them uh, came about because as we had all kind of gotten our equipment, our military equipment for the year, uh, we were kind of going through it and making sure we had everything that we needed. And uh, one, of our, uh, one of our roommates, a guy by the name of Aaron, he, uh, he was going through his equipment and he ends up finding uh, a pair of underwear, uh, just a Blend, blend pair of underwear in one of his equipment bags. And uh, so we thought it was kind of funny and we joked around with it a bit and, um, and it got kind of passed around. Uh, somebody hid it in somebody's pillow and somebody else put it in somebody's shower. And, and anyway, one day, um, Aaron had it on his shower, I believe is what happened. He had it in his shower head and he found out that another guy, one of our other roommates, had ended up putting it there. And so uh, Aaron takes this uh, underwear and he goes and uh, the, the roommate's name who actually put it in Aaron's shower, his name was Blake. And uh, Aaron takes this underwear and he puts it in Blake's protein powder, like, like in the protein powder, like opens up the canister of protein powder and like shoves the underwear in there. And so when Blake comes home that day from working out, he goes and he goes to like scoop out this, this uh, protein powder and just finds this underwear like in his protein powder and just like freaks out. Like we thought it was hysterical, right? And, uh, and Blake at that moment 
was going to take the high road. He was going to just cease all of the pranking and just let it die, right? But myself and one of our other roommates, we couldn't let that happen because that just wouldn't be very much fun. So we convinced Blake to go into Aaron's room as he was away and just like toilet paper his room. And it was hard to get Blake to actually do this, but we convinced him to do it. And so he kind of threw some toilet paper around Aaron's room. And, and then he took some saran wrap. Remember this, he took some saran wrap and saran wrapped Aaron's, Aaron's toilet seat. But it was like the worst saran wrapping job I'd ever seen in my life. Like clearly you walk into the bathroom and you can see there's saran wrap like all over the toilet. And so it's like, okay, whatever. This is kind of a really half-hearted attempt uh, to prank Aaron, but we'll let it fly, whatever. And so uh, we don't think anything of it. Until later that day, Aaron comes back home, goes straight to his room, and for some reason did not think to flip on the light switch in his bathroom. He just sat down to go to the bathroom and he starts pushing, and man, it just started pushing back. And the next thing, like, we hear in our apartment is just this, like, high-pitched scream coming from Aaron's bedroom as Aaron was never the same again. Now, I share that story with you for this reason, is that there's times in our life where we feel like just everything is just going normally, right? It's going naturally. Things are going the way that it's supposed to go. It's just like another day, right? And then all of a sudden, like, you just get blindsided by something you just did not see coming. And it just has a massive effect on you sometimes. Like, have you ever, ever had your day to where like just something just completely out of the blue happens and you just had no idea like that was going to happen and it had just this massive effect on you going forward? And, and, and I bring that up because it's like life does that. Like that. That's just kind of a part of life. Like life can change so quickly. It can change on a dime. And when, I, when we're looking at this story of Elijah here, I bring that up because we really kind of see this strange moment in Elijah's life. We see his life kind of change on a dime here. So you've just kind of read here in this story that, that Elijah has this just like awesome, awesome experience, right? Like God's fire comes down from heaven, consumes this offering. All the prophets of Baal are like rounded up and captured and gotten rid of. And it's like this massive kind of just like win for God's people. You would think that Elijah in this moment is just kind of like on the top of the world. But what you see immediately after that is that the, the queen over the land, this lady by the name of Jezebel, hears about it, and she puts out this death threat to Elijah. And in an instant, Elijah's life is, is changed. His life changes on a dime, just drastically. Look, look, look what, we're, uh, what we're at here uh, in 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, Ahab told Jezebel... All that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there alone." 
See, Elijah all of a sudden is at this point in his life where, man, things were going so well. He was probably like on the brink of thinking, like, man, this is like a great awakening, like in, in Israel. But all of a sudden, like all these Israelites are going to all of a sudden just turn to the Lord, turn away from Baal. They're going to start following after Yahweh. And this death threat goes out. And Elijah just kind of like loses his mind. Like his life has just been drastically, drastically changed. And we read this, and I think we can kind of immediately think to ourselves, like, that's kind of bizarre. Like, does that really happen? Like, things like that just change so drastic. Like, you just saw God's fire, like, from heaven, like, come down and just, like, consume this offering, right? But I think if if you and I are honest with each other, I'd be willing to bet that, man, COVID's kind of been like that for us. I was thinking back just the other day to March, like before kind of we saw this, this kind of massive outbreak in the United States. You know, we were off on a mission trip with, with students, and, and we hear about this, and it was just like all of a sudden life was going great, things were going well, and then just life changes on a dime. And we probably find ourselves thinking now, being in a place now where it's just like, man, is, is life ever going to be the way that it was before? We can kind of find ourselves just running in fear. Like, what's going to happen? You know, maybe it was our job that was so secure before that now we're, we're not so sure. Maybe it was our education and, and, and classrooms and, and schooling that was going so well, but now we're just like, man, like, what is, what's going on there? Life that was so peaceful and so quiet and going so well all of a sudden has changed. And it can kind of leave us wondering, like, where is God in all of that? And the thing we see here in the story of Elijah is this. We ask ourselves, you know, where is God in all of this? One of the coolest things, this is crazy. Again, but one of the things we see here is that in those kinds of situations, in the midst of those kinds of situations, what we see God doing is, is God actually, God covers the small needs that we have in our lives. God covers the small needs. Look as we continue this story of Elijah's life, as we keep, continue reading in 1 Kings 19, uh, 4 through 8. It says this. I was talking about Elijah. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's, And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, and there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. You see, God's not too big to take care of the small needs that we have in our lives. He's not too big to provide for us in those small ways that we have, that we, that we need in our lives. Whether it's, whether it's groceries, whether it's, man, the apartment rent, whether it's the electricity bill. God is not so big that he doesn't care about the details in our lives, the small things, like a simple meal. Jesus himself taught us, when he was teaching us to pray, he said, pray this way, give us this day our daily bread, Father. Our daily bread, the little stuff. 
God cares about the details in our lives. When we're in the midst of, of a life that just seems to have gone awry and is thrown into chaos and wondering, is, are things ever going to be the way that they once were? Feeling as though it's just kind of hopeless. God cares about the details. But here's the thing. The, the details, the small things, the small solutions, they don't sustain us for the long haul. If you're taking notes, it's the next main point. The small solutions don't sustain us for the long haul. Because as we look at Elijah's life here, even after he gets his stomach filled and he's been given food and water and whatnot, we still find Elijah in this state of hopelessness. Look at 1 Kings 19, verses 9 and 10. We continue this story. It says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. Talking about Elijah. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. See, Elijah's kind of like, God, like, I was thinking like there was going to be this massive, just great awakening. But, I, but I've realized, like, I'm the only person here. And it doesn't really seem like things are getting better. And what we see is we see Elijah's stuck in this just place of hopelessness. Thinking that things aren't going to get any better. And yeah, he had the small needs met, but the small needs weren't enough to sustain him. The, the small details weren't enough to sustain him. You know, it's kind of like we might say to ourselves, or, or as we're praying to God, like, God, thank you for taking care of my rent this month, or thank you for using the church so that uh, my family and I can get some groceries and whatnot, but I'm still not sure about my job, and it doesn't seem like COVID is going anywhere recently, uh, anywhere in the near future. Like, my kids are still stuck at home doing virtual learning, right? And it's driving me crazy. Like, I, I don't see a bigger solution to all of this. And I've got my stomach filled, yeah, but what are you doing? The small things are not enough to sustain us. And we can ask ourselves, how does God respond to that? And what we see here in Elijah's life is this, is that what, the way in which God responds is this. God responds by bringing an unshakable hope into our lives. God brings unshakable hope hope. Look with me at, at 1 Kings 19 verses 11 through 12. As God responds to Elijah's fears and panic, we get this kind of weird moment in the story, okay? So 1 Kings 19, 11 through 12 says this. It says, he said, God's talking to him, he says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Now, quick pause. Because what in the world does that mean? Right? Like you see this kind of moment here and you read it and it's weird enough to where you're like, I think that's intentional. There's probably something significant about that, but I have no idea what's going on here. And, and as I was kind of praying about this and, and reading it and, and, and kind of studying and, and whatnot, this is, kind of, this, this is kind of the picture I got. 
we see in this text three pictures of chaos. Right? right? We see a picture of, of just this rock-breaking wind, like this wind just so strong to just tear rocks off of mountains. We see this picture of an earthquake, and we see this picture of a fire. And it says that God is not in any of them. And, and that's not to say that they're bad things, because all of these things actually God has been in in the past in other stories in Scripture. So it's not like these things are, are anti-God, but why a low whisper? Like, why is it that in this particular text, God decides to show himself to Elijah in the form of a low whisper? And I think this is key to understanding what's, what's being uh, communicated in this message. Because if you think about life from Elijah's perspective, Elijah's probably thinking to himself, like, my world is just falling into chaos right now. My world feels like a rock-breaking wind. It feels like an earthquake that is just shattering everything around me. It feels like a fire that is just burning away everything that would possibly bring life and glory to God. My life just feels like chaos. That's Elijah's perspective. And into Elijah's chaos, God communicates his perspective and he's at peace. God's in the whisper because God is unshaken by the chaos that Elijah is experiencing. God's at peace. The text goes on in 1 Kings 19, 13 through 18. Look at this. In verse 13 it says, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria." And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abba-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You see, Elijah confronts God in this place of hopelessness, where he feels like, man, my life is chaos. Everything is falling apart and crumbling and being burned up and blown away. And into Elijah's hopelessness, God speaks hope because God is at peace. And take note real quick where that hope came from. Right? The hope didn't come from within Elijah. Right? It wasn't just like Elijah, just kind of like pull up your bootstraps, man. Come on, like you are awesome on the inside. Like you can do it. You can overcome. You're an overcomer coming over. Like he didn't say that to him. That's not where the hope came from. The hope didn't come from a political leader. 
Elijah, it's, it's, it's not like God was just saying, like, man, like if we just had this guy in place or that person in leadership, like, man, then everything will be all right. Like, that's not where the hope came from. It, it didn't come from social reforms, right? We just got to get the people to act more moral. It didn't come from education. They just need to learn more about what's actually true. It's not where the hope came from. The hope came from God and his power and his control over everything that was going on. 1 Kings 19, 18, God says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel. Into Elijah's chaos, God speaks hope. And the question to you and the question to me in this season we're in in the world of of COVID-19 and navigating all the complications that have come about as a result of that, we have to ask ourselves, where is our hope at right now? Are we relying on political leaders? Are we relying on social reforms? Thinking like if just this person was in power, just this policy got put in place, or if we just had this kind of education, like everything would go better. Like, is that our attitude right now? Or are we men and women who know that the only hope that we have that is an unshakable hope is in Christ alone? Where is our hope right now? Because it has to be in something bigger if it's going to actually last. It it can't be in yourself. It can't can't be in just like this mindset, like I'll just overcome and come over and and like... it's not going to work. The problem with the problem with this idea of like hope just kind of being inside of you, you just got to kind of buckle up your bootstraps and just work it out. Like the problem with that is that you know yourself too well. Like you know yourself too well. You know you're not that good. And kind of illustrate it like this. Um, Josie and I just got done. My wife, uh, my wife's name is Josie. Uh, we just got done watching this uh, documentary on Netflix uh, called High Score. Um, and it was actually all about kind of like the rise uh, and the growth of video games um, in the world, which is actually really interesting. Okay, if you like documentaries, this is actually a pretty good one. We enjoyed it. Um, and it was like super nostalgic too. Um, like it reminded me of like all these older video games I used to play when I was younger. And uh, one of them in particular was this game called Age of Empires. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever played that game, but uh, this game called Age of Empires, where you basically got to choose to be some country or some medieval army, all right, and just kind of conquer the world, right? Go out with your army, and it was all just foot soldiers and wooden catapults and things like that. Like, it was very medieval. That was the theme of it. And, uh, and, and the game was a lot of fun. But I remember my friends and I, when we'd get together to play this game, there would be moments where uh, one of us would just kind of feel like, man, I am losing, like as I'm going to war against all these other people on this game right now, and my little foot soldiers and my wooden catapults are not going to get me through this because the other person has more foot soldiers and more wooden catapults, and this kind of feeling of hopelessness, right, just kind of starts to come over you until you remember that if you know the right words to type into this little cheat box in the game, uh, then no amount of enemy force could ever conquer you, right? We called it, we literally like this, we called it God mode, right? We literally called it God mode because all we had to do was type that phrase into this little cheat code box and immediately into this world of medieval warfare, there spawned an innumerable amount of red Dodge Vipers equipped with 50 cal machine guns, 
which was the coolest thing ever, right? And so as we were going off into war, as all of our opponents had all these wooden catapults and foot soldiers, we just kind of spawned an innumerable amount of Dodge Vipers equipped with 50 cal machine guns, and we mowed over everybody. Like nobody could stand in our way, right? It was just, it was laughable, actually, about how dominant we were in this game. And it was funny because... Every single time we'd play that game and we'd come across a moment where it just seemed like hopelessness was going to prevail, right? We just typed in God mode because we had something bigger than anything else that would ever come against us, right? We had a Dodge Viper with a 50 cal machine gun attached to it and no wooden catapult could stand up against that. And that's what brought us peace. And that's kind of funny. But we need something like that in our lives if we're going to be able to walk through and navigate situations of chaos with a disposition of peace. You've got to have a source of hope that is bigger and more powerful than anything else you would possibly come across, including yourself. That's how you get peace. That's how you find hope in the midst of chaos. Trusting in your own ability will not bring it. Because you know yourself that you're not bigger than anything else that's out there. But God is. You can't bring a level of calm that's like a whisper. You know, you might be able to rely on some of your own abilities a little bit, right? You might be kind of smart, you might have a lot of money, but you can't provide a level of peace that's equivalent to a whisper. Only the author and sovereign creator of all creation can do that. Only the one who controls the entire game, who runs this world, can create that kind of peace. And that's what you need and that's what I need in order to navigate this season of COVID-19. And that is exactly who God is. He is the God who can take situations of just seeming chaos and despair and hopelessness and use them to bring something so magnificent about that we wouldn't even believe it if we were told. There's no greater illustration of this in the gospel itself. As Israel was being told that God would send a a snake crusher in Genesis 3, right? He would send a savior. He'd send a Messiah. They had it pictured in their minds like he would just kind of be like some conquering king like David or somebody like that. God had something so much bigger, but the situation in which it came about just seemed like one of chaos. A humble servant who was rejected by the religious leaders who was wrongfully accused, wrongfully murdered. But then three days later, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus rose from the dead so that you and I could no longer be separated from God but could have a relationship with God as we were created to. That no longer are we separated from the God of the universe. No longer are we people without hope, like Ephesians says. 
but by placing our trust in Jesus, saying that, God, I am done doing things my way. I want to do things your way. Take my whole life. And I trust, Lord, that you made that possible because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When each of us individually makes that decision, we are immediately brought into a relationship with God. God isn't looking at you and asking you to clean yourself up first and just kind of get things right and stop cussing so much and, and start behaving better and get some morals. Like, he's, not saying that he's, not, he's not saying do all that stuff first and then you can come to me. He's saying, no, 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 no. You come to me. You turn away from doing life your way. You come to me and I'll show you what life is actually like. I'll show you true life. That's the type of God that can create a hope and a peace that is unshakable in this time. And so if that's the case, if that's the truth, if that's the God that we serve, then what does that mean for us? What, what, what step do we take next? And simply put, we do just that. We take the next step. We take the next step. You see, even though I had the unshakable hope of Dodge Vipers with 50 cal machine guns in my arsenal. If I were to just sit back and do nothing, the world would not get conquered in Age of Empires. Like I actually had to go out. I actually had to take a step. I had to leave the kingdom that I had in that game and travel across the world to advance a greater kingdom. We have to take the next step. And this is what God tells Elijah to do in 1 Kings 19, 15 through 16. After showing Elijah, Elijah, you may feel like your life is chaos right now. I'm at peace. And I'm at peace because I run this world. He says to Elijah in verse 15, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abba Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. He tells Elijah to go. He says, Elijah, I control this world. Your world is not hopeless because I run it. And so because I run it, that empowers you to go. That frees you up to go without worry or concern. See, Elijah didn't just like sit on his hands. He didn't just decide, well, like, I guess there's no great awakening now and this lady wants to kill me. I'm just going to kind of take a step back from what God's called me to do. I'm just going to kind of take a break for the next like five or six months. I'm just going to barricade myself alone. He didn't do any of that stuff. He went. God called him to go. And he calls us to go as well. And the question is, what is our next step? What's your next step? Have you found yourself just taking a break from community because Zoom is less than ideal? Have you found yourself taking a break from giving because funds are tighter than they have been in the past? Have you found yourself deciding, like, we're just going to take a break from going to church because we have to wear masks and those are annoying? What's your next step? What is God calling you to do in this season? Don't sit on your hands. Don't wait for this kind of like go away and then be like, okay, then we'll get back to normal. God's not telling you just kind of sit and wait. He's saying go. 
And that next step might look different for a bunch of different people. But the question you need to ask this morning and you need to speak to God yourself about, I can't give you the answer to this question. You need to ask God, God, what is my next step? What's the next step you have for me? I don't want to sit on my hands. I don't want to just kind of sit back and wait. Because God runs this world. And he brings peace and he brings hope. Maybe for you, your next step is that you've never decided to follow Jesus, to give him your whole life. You've been trying to create hope and peace and whatnot just from your own doing and your own thinking and your own being. And you've realized like that doesn't, that doesn't work. And so you're at the point now where you're like, man, I'm, I'm done doing things my way. I want to do things his way. I want to give him my life. Maybe that's your next step. What is your next step? What's the next step that God is calling you to? Because I pray that we'll take it. Because at the end of the day, Jesus himself said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And that's what I want for all of us. Let's go ahead and pray. Well, Father, I thank you, Lord, that, man, you are in control all the time. All the time. You you don't take a break. You don't step back. You run this world. Nothing happens that you don't ultimately control and have power over. And you are good all the time. And I pray, Father, just in this moment this morning that you would bring to our minds what is that next step that you're calling each of us to make. I pray that we would talk to you about that, that we would ask you about that, that you would speak to us clearly, God. Bring to our minds how it is that you would call us to go in this time, that we wouldn't be overcome by hopelessness, but, Father, that we would be encouraged by the fact that you speak hope, you speak peace. We might feel as though we're in a world of chaos, but you are in the still small whisper. What is that next step for us? As I mentioned earlier today, if, if, if maybe you've decided, like, I know what my next step is. My next step is that I have never, ever given my life over to Jesus. I've been doing things my way, and I'm done with that. I want to do things his way. And if that's the case, I would just encourage you to reach out to us. We want, we want to know about that. We want to come alongside you uh, in that journey, in that relationship with Jesus. If that's you, uh, man, I would just encourage you. Could you, could you text New Start to 94,000? Text New Start, one word, to 94,000. I mean, for others of you, you've you decided that, man, like I, I made that decision a while back, but I've been sitting on my hands. I've taken a step back, but today, not today, I, I want to stop. I want to get up. I want to go. I want to recommit my life to Christ. If that's the case, man, same thing. Text New Start to 94,000. We want to come alongside you and partner with you in that relationship, in that journey. Jesus says, I have come to have life and have it to the full, and there is nothing better than that. And so, Father, please hear us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Well, this morning we are going to continue in worship uh, by, by celebrating and partaking in uh, Holy Communion. And so uh, if you've got your uh, communion elements with you, I'd encourage you to go ahead and get those out wherever you're at. And, uh, and, and as we get started here, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about uh, what this is that we're doing in celebrating this meal of Holy Communion. We, we read about this primarily in 1 Corinthians 11. We see it in the Gospels as well, but Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 11. And, and in uh, this letter to the Corinthians, Paul lays out the purpose of communion, why we do it. And he's speaking to believers here, and, and to this letter to the believers, he talks about how communion has two purposes to it. Number one, the purpose of communion is to remember, is to remember Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We do it to remember. But secondly, we do it to proclaim. We, we do it to proclaim Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We do it to proclaim the fact that we are his and we are seeking after a greater kingdom that we have committed our lives to Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a, this is a meal primarily for believers. People, men and women who have decided like, I want my whole life to be about Jesus. I want him to run my life. I'm done doing things my way. I wanna do things his way. It's not a meal primarily for the unbeliever. In fact, it serves a different purpose for the person who says, yeah, I don't know if Jesus is really who I want to follow just yet. Maybe I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm exploring a little bit. That's totally fine to be thinking and be exploring. I would encourage you to continue to explore, to continue to, to seek after God. But, but this meal is for those individuals who have already decided that they want their lives to be about Him. Because again, the purpose of it is to remember and to proclaim. It's, it's kind of like, if I can illustrate it this way, it's, it's like a wedding ring, right? Like, like my wedding ring, one, obviously reminds me that I'm married, right? If I were to ever forget. Uh, but secondly, it, it actually stands as a proclamation as well, right? It stands as a proclamation of a commitment of a relationship that I've stepped into. And, and, and just like if I were to take this wedding ring off and give it to somebody else to put on, it doesn't make them all of a sudden married to my wife. Right? You, if you're someone who hasn't given your life to Jesus yet, thinking to yourself, well, if I take communion, that'll kind of make God like me a little better or it'll kind of like scrub away some of the bad stuff I've done and kind of get me up the ladder a little more in God's approval. It doesn't work that way. We're not saved by our own works. We're saved only by grace through faith, just trusting in Jesus. And so you taking communion doesn't put you in any better standing with God. It's a neutral thing. And so if you're an unbeliever here this morning, as we as believers are about to partake in this meal together, if you're an unbeliever, I would just encourage you to, to take these elements and just set them aside. Hold on to them for as long as you want. Let them be a reminder of the invitation that God has given to you. To, to trust in his son, to experience life and life to the full. He doesn't ask you to clean yourself up first. He just asks you to come. And if you ever do decide to place your faith in Jesus, 
That means celebrate by taking that meal. But, but I would encourage you to see this as an invitation to consider Jesus. And so as, as all of us here uh, and, and online, if we, are, have, if we are, have our elements together here, let's go ahead and partake together. So in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26, it says this, Paul speaking to the church, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take and we eat. Continuing in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25, Paul says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we take and we drink. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread, and drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your power and your love and your control in this time, Father. I pray that you would bless the decisions of our, our leaders, that you would guide them, God, to your will, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit for your glory, God, not for ours. May you be glorified in this world. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.